Welcome back to Coms Day Live. It's 2023 and we're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed here. Looking forward to bringing you Australia's best dedicated telecom industry podcast through the year. We had a break at Coms Day um, for a few weeks over January, but the telecom industry is an industry that never sleeps. So lots of things were happening um, whilst we're all on holidays. And uh, this episode of Coms Day Live is dedicated to catching up on them. And to assist me in that task is the executive editor of Comms Day, Mr. Rowan Pearce. Welcome, Rowan. Graham, good morning. Now, let's kick off. Um, now, of course, at the end of last year, um, the ACCC rejected uh, Telstra and TPG Telecom's proposed regional network sharing deal, and they promptly decided to appeal it. And that's all beginning to happen now. So tell, tell us what the state of play is there, Rowan. Yeah, sure. So like you said, this happened right at the kind of tail end of last year. Obviously, it took a long time for the um, the ACCC to make its decision to reject the deal. Um, so just a couple of days before Christmas, we saw Telstra and TPG lodge separate um, appeals for the Australian Competition Tribunal. So that whole process has kicked off now. It's it's kind of um, unlike the ACCC process. This has like a strict timeline that the tribunal has to work to, which means that either way, we should get a decision by late June. Um, the kind of the, the complexity from the tribunal's point of view is that the during the ACCC inquiry, there was a masses, masses and masses of evidence tended. So now they're struck with they're stuck with a dealing with all this evidence before them, but also potentially even more evidence in the form of a, a cross examination, for example, of um, of witnesses from the telcos. So that process has all kicked off. There was a directions hearing um, that I tuned into um, earlier this week. And it looks like it's going to be a kind of um, a struggle for the tribunal. Uh, but because of that deadline, we will get a decision by the end of June. Um, and obviously after that, I'm kind of, you, you'd kind of imagine that whatever happens, someone's not going to be happy. So it's probably going to go from the tribunal to the federal court, I would anticipate. Okay. Yeah, that's very much a watch this space one, isn't it? There's still a lot to play out there. Now, um, talking of um, the ACCC, um, over the break, uh, there was also some developments in NBNCO's attempt to vary its special access undertaking. And just, just a little bit of context there. Um, NBN began a process a couple of years ago to uh, change the wording of its special access undertaking to better reflect the things that it does now, because this, this undertaking is obviously sort of 13 years old or whatever, not, not necessarily fit for purpose in the modern age. Um the 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 ACCC didn't like um, the first iteration last year. Um, NBN had another go at it, and as part of that, they submitted a really interesting paper about their pricing strategy and specifically to deal with what they say is the competition that they're getting from wireless. So t- tell us about that paper, Rowan. Yeah, quite quite interesting. Obviously, going from the, the kind of like the, the mock and deal to another very long winded process that. Shows no sign of, sign of wrapping up any time quickly. Yeah, so it's basically NVN's committed. I mean, obviously, part of the SEU includes like a lot of commitments to transparency um, and also kind of, you know, sending clear signals to RSPs and the market about like how they're going to be operating as a company. Part of this is this pricing strategy document. Um, and there's some really interesting stuff in there. There's a lot of stuff, but as you mentioned, one of the interesting things was the kind of competition by um, fixed wireless and mobile services. And NBN's kind of put it of like they're being squeezed on on two sides. One on the kind of quality quality of service based stuff, and then the other one on the value side of things. Uh, particularly saying that you know 
they're, they're struggling with the value perception. Obviously, at the same time as you've got a lot of kind of compelling uh, uh, fixed wireless offers coming on the, um, the market from the mobile network operators. Um, and, and one of the interesting things in there is that they kind of like, they said that they're anticipating, they, they kind of had like an indication of increased network churn and they expect that churn to kind of in, in continue in the um, foreseeable future is how they put it. So they are expecting that more of their market share is going to go towards some of these kind of wireless and mobile services. Um, and obviously part of the context for that is that the NBN, the NBN is kind of rolled out except for, you know, a few greenfields. So we're going to see a kind of, anticipate that we'll see like a net decrease in active NBN services potentially over the future. So which obviously is quite challenging from the um, NBN economics point of view. And, and indeed, we, we may already be seeing the beginnings of that because I've been watching NBN's weekly progress reports where they give various metrics on their levels of activations and, and premises served by their network. And for the last few months, both their brownfield activations and their overall activations have been on a pretty steady uh, trend of decline. So uh, the competition from wireless may be a real thing now, not necessarily a potential problem for them. So um, it's, it's definitely a really interesting one. And of course, as part of that, um, uh, there's a consultation going right, right, going on right now around NBN's entire um, SAU um, uh, proposition and um, I, I think the deadline for submissions to that takes place in only a couple of weeks. So I guess we'll be hearing a lot more from various people in the industry as to what they think about what MBN's offering. Um, moving on, um, disinformation. Now, you know, as someone who's been in journalism my whole life, I, I, I have strong personal views on, 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 on the, these things. The Australian Communications and Media Authority is looking actively at ways to combat disinformation. So t- tell us what they're up to, Rowan. Yeah, so this is one of those things, I guess, I guess <laughs> part of the context would be the, uh, uh, part, part of the context would obviously be the kind of like rise in um, uh, uh, people taking horse worming paste over the last couple of years to, to ward off COVID. Obviously, um, uh, so on the one hand, kind of COVID misinformation, also things around like concerns around interference in electoral processes, all those kind of things, obviously been increasing concern. So one of the kind of early, early announcements out of the government this year um, from Communications Minister Michelle Rowland is that they're going to be uh, releasing draft legislation, which is going to increase the powers of the ACMA to kind of tackle some of these issues. Um, some of those powers are going to be information gathering powers, uh, record keeping powers, but also the power to kind of register an industry code. Now, there is an industry code that is actually out there that was produced by some of the kind of like biggest digital platform operators, like Google's part of that, Facebook's part of that. Um, but then the ACMA would be able to enforce this. And if the code fell short um, under the legislation, would be able to actually make a uh, industry standard, which would then kind of be mandatory so if self-regulation fails um so it'll be interesting to see like we don't we don't have the details of what that's going to look like um the misinformation code that was developed by the digital platforms was recently strengthened um but obviously it's a question of like whether that's going to be enough to satisfy the government or whether they, they think it needs to go further but uh, i think yeah it's definitely one to watch yeah i mean it, it's going to be an interesting one in terms of how they define these things and 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 when they actually enforce it, the sorts of things which get enforced because it's, it's a very perilous area you know um you know one man's conspiracy theories and a, you know another man's truth and all that kind of stuff and it's 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 it just strikes me as a bit, a bit of a minefield 
they're walking into. Anyway, it remains to be seen. I, I, sh- I guess I should be more open-minded. Um, not too open-minded. <laughs> not too open-minded. Okay. Thank you very much, Rowan, for joining us today and, and, and filling us in on what happened over the break. Cheers. Well, moving on, um, continuing with our look at the stories that broke over the January break, I'm joined by the chief editor of Comms Day, Mr. Simon Ducks. Welcome, Simon. Hi there, Graham, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Um, okay, so um, it might not be a Happy New Year if you're Telstra, because <laughs> uh, a bit, a bit of um, in, in the context of what we were talking about with Rowan before, um, with the 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 uh, impasse over whether Telstra and TPG can share their network in the bush. There's a lot of talk amongst the political class about mandating a roaming requirement on, on regional mobile. And of course, that would hit Telstra because they're the ones who have the regional mobile monopoly, so to speak. Tell us all about it, Simon. Yeah, that's right. Over uh, Christmas, uh, we had the federal nationals leader, David Littleproud, once more um, having a crack about mandated domestic mobile roaming, saying that this is going to be the answer to getting rural connectivity. And uh, we were interested in that and uh, spotting that because it was the first time that we'd actually seen uh, the coalition really uh, pushing for this uh, because their policy in previous uh, rural uh, regional telecommunications reviews was not to back uh, this specifically. So, you know, we had a little bit of a dig around, uh, of course, uh, to have a look. And uh, in fact... um, the Shadow Communications Minister in 2021 was saying very similar things, actually. So uh, we feel that uh, this is definitely going to be a change in position uh, for the coalition to back it. And um, as you know, in the most recent uh, regional telecoms review, uh, it concluded that actually there's still a lot of issues around it and they weren't choosing to do it. And they referred back to some of the earlier work from the ACCC that said it was a bit of a non-starter. But uh, needless to say, I think we're going to see more about this uh, coming uh, from the coalition. And uh, it was interesting because, of course, uh, he came up and said that. uh, And uh, this, of course, uh, raised the ire of TPG, who were quite quick to point out that if the Mocken deal with Telstra had actually been approved, you would have got a far superior result than uh, what you would get uh, with national or domestic roaming. And uh, as an example, they pointed out that under their potential deal, which, as we know, uh, uh, was overturned by uh, the ACCC and is now sitting with the tribunal, and uh, they're saying that they would have co-located more than 640 active mobile black spot sites in regional Australia, and the... um, they suggested that they thought that um, David Littleproud had got it wrong about closing down some of the tower sites because these tower assets actually would have been pooled and um, would have been giving extra coverage uh, to Telstra's existing network. So essentially, as far as they're concerned, this all would have been a much more superior deal for customers than uh, actually mandating roaming where you would not have any control over the various services that you're delivering, uh, essentially, because, of course, everyone would be just potentially rolling, uh, roaming off the back of uh, Telstra. 
Yeah, interesting stuff. Um, I, I just have one comment on that, and that is that um, David Littleproud is walking proof that um, political donations don't influence politicians because Telstra donated $27,500 to the Nationals last financial year. And what have they got for their money? Uh, David Littleproud just wants to regulate them and do lots of things that they definitely do not perceive to be in their own, own interest. Anyway, moving on, um, we, 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 we always um, have sort of exponential growth in terms of, of um, core bandwidth requirements. And, of course, we're, we're in the age of 100 gig right, right now when it comes to wavelengths. But it looks like that 2023 is going to be the year where 400 is the default. Tell us about that, Simon. Yeah, very much so. Uh, we've uh, seen a couple of big uh, d- uh, developments over summer. Most uh, recent of that was Telstra Wholesale, essentially launching 400 gigabit Ethernet wavelength services uh, in between capitals. And uh, really interesting, they've uh, signed up Aussie Broadband as their uh, very first customer. And uh, the advantage that you have when you're actually uh, running at 400 gig is obviously when you're dealing with customers, you don't have to build up multiple 100 gig cards. And of course, that ties up your own network. Uh, and consumes more power and so on. So, you know, they're getting some good advantages for their own traffic, uh, and uh, it's a really good service uh, to be rolling out. But it's actually showing you that we're seeing this stuff out in the field now. It's not just uh, conceptual uh, or people talking about it. And uh, a lot of it uh, is uh, backed on uh, with their partners, uh, Ericsson, who was doing a lot of the um, management integration. And uh, they're using uh, Sienna Kit, uh, which seems to be almost uh, the de facto uh, standard out there running on uh, live networks. Infinera may argue with that a little bit, but uh, that's definitely what we're seeing. And uh, Telstra made the point that um, their fixed network data has been tripling since 2017 and is uh, continuing to grow at about 25% a year. So, you know, on the back of that, you've got to look after your own network and also provide these new services for customers. And uh, just before that, we also had uh, an announcement from Southern Cross Cables that they were launching commercial 400 gig Ethernet services Uh, on their cable spanning Australia, New Zealand and the US. And um, as far as they're concerned, they were considering this to be a game changer. It will be quite interesting because essentially you're getting hyperscale, low latency connectivity directly between data centres in Sydney and Los Angeles with uh, a new Auckland data centre pop due for implementation uh, this year as well. So you can say that that's the first international 400 uh, gigabit Ethernet services in the Australasia region. Once more, they're using Sienna. And uh, the other one that we noticed over the thing, much smaller player, but uh, interesting player nonetheless, uh, EdgeIX. It does a lot of peering in uh, Australia. They've just moved into Singapore over um, uh, the Christmas break. And uh, at the same time, just before uh, we uh, broke for Christmas, they launched 400 gig uh, peering in its Sydney peering fabric as well. Uh, And that's available at Next DC's uh, Sydney One Pop. And uh, they're going to be rolling that out to other locations in Sydney as well. So you can see this uh, exponential bandwidth demand that we're we're, we're actually seeing. Uh, You're now seeing the manifestations of it. And I guess the only question mark you have to wonder about this is how uh, Sienna's uh, lead times on their kit uh, will hold out over the year uh, as all the telcos are looking to uh, upgrade their networks. Great summary there, Simon. Yeah, it's definitely a lot happening in that space and a definitely a definitive trend. 
there. Talk, talking of, um, I love this term, paradigm shifts. <laughs> um, we're finally really witnessing that with 5G now, aren't we? Yeah, very much. Uh, if you look at um, uh, when 5G was uh, first uh, coming out and being really talked about as a commercial service in Australia, uh, we had the likes of uh, Telstra at the time very early on were mulling the idea of a potential $15 premium for 5G services. But now, you know, everything's moved through the market. Uh, it's obviously uh, well entrenched in uh, postpaid. And uh, Telstra has just actually gone out and launched prepaid 5G services. They've been trialling them for about a year or uh, since May last year uh, with a number of their MVNO partners. But it is quite interesting because it's definitely showing you that, you know, the 5G essentially was not going to be something that you're going to be able to charge a premium on. And uh, the way that uh, the operators that we're seeing is segmenting the market is, particularly with the prepaid services, uh, is that you've got uh, capped rates. And uh, this is how they'll still be able to differentiate uh, between their prepaid and postpaid services. And uh, so uh, you're looking at um, 28 days prepaid 5G plans, including $30 to $40 capped at 150 megabit speeds. $50 capped at 250 megabit speeds and an uncapped plan range between $60 to $140. And, you know, that's putting you up at the same sort of levels at postpaid. And uh, Telstra are fairly canny when they're uh, managing their margins and their ARPU because of the fact that, uh, you know, if you go back 18 months, two years, uh, all of the mobile competition was really hitting all of the operators' numbers as well. Telstra has managed to turn that around and they did that uh, when they uh, put 5G in. They only made it available originally in their two postpaid um, tiers and the third one uh, they didn't do at the entry level. And uh, because of that, a lot of people that were early adopters and not so price sensitive moved immediately to their top tier and that, of course, boosted up their ARPU. And I think we might see some similar things happening here. Um, you might get some creativity with some of the MVNOs. Uh, Boost has already uh, jumped out and uh, launched uh, an offer on the back of this. Um, but uh, it, it will be interesting to see it plays out because, as we know with prepay, um, it's a very price-sensitive market and 4G services in Australia are very, very good. So our eyes will be on um, what happens now with Aldi, Woolies, uh, Mate and more um, because they're the four key MVNOs. Uh, that we're all trialling uh, this service and we're just waiting to see what offers they come out with. Okay, that's that's terrific stuff. And um, uh, with, with this week's episode, we, we return to a weekly format for the rest of the year. I, I look forward to chatting with you, Simon, um, on a weekly basis to find out what's going on in telecoms. Should be a good year. Thank you. Well, that's it for Comms Day Live this week. We'll see you next time.